Just a reminder, the show is to not replacement for... BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. Bringing the underground to the foreground. Good morning, and welcome to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. I am your host, Lily Sloan, and I'm a psychotherapist in San Francisco. And this is a show where we talk about the intersection of psychotherapy, personal growth, and activism. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can tweet at me during the show at, at Radical underscore Advice. If you have life questions you want addressed at a future date, you can submit them anonymously at RadicalAdviceShow.com. And please do. I love hearing from you. And just a reminder, this show does not replace mental health treatment. Uh, It is usually a way to have a more general discussion about issues that many of us might be dealing with, so it's always good to seek help from a trained professional who can cater to your specific needs. So today's guest is going to join me remotely at around 10.30. Until then, it's just you and me and some sweet, sweet tunes for your Tuesday morning. But first, let's start with... That good old meditative check-in. So if you haven't listened before, usually at the beginning of the show, I like to guide you in a little bit of a mindfulness practice, just a way to check in with your body and your mind, your feelings, just see where you're at. I don't do this every day. I kind of wish I did, but... Hey, doing it on Tuesdays is good enough. It's something. So, if you're able, I want you to just step back a little bit from whatever you're doing. If you're in a position to close your eyes, go ahead and do that. If not, or if that feels uncomfortable, keep your eyes open. You can always kind of fix your gaze on one particular spot or have a soft gaze kind of towards the floor. Of course, if you're driving or walking or biking, I want you to pay attention to where you're going.
So the other day someone reminded me about um, the body scan. And so I'm gonna walk you through that because it's a really, really useful practice for just getting, for just, for just becoming aware of, of where you are in a particular way. I often give kind of general instructions like notice your body, notice where you're feeling things, but this is gonna be a little more specific. So I want you to start by noticing your breath. It's always a good place to start. Just becoming aware of the sensation of air going in as you inhale, out as you exhale. Feeling it fill your lungs. Rise and fall of your chest or your belly. Now that you're aware of your breath, I want you to move your attention all the way down to your toes. Just noticing any sensations in the tips of your toes, the bottom of your toes, between your toes. It doesn't have to be painful or uncomfortable for there to be something there. And now just noticing the balls of your feet and your heels. Bringing your attention into your knees. And kneecaps and also in the back of your knees. your thighs, and your hamstrings, and 
noticing the feelings all around the tops of your legs. And bringing your attention into your hips. And your butt. And your pelvis. If you're moving, you can notice what it feels like to be moving. How your hips feel as you're walking or running or whatever you're doing right now. If you're sitting or lying down, feeling that contact with the chair, the bed, or the couch, or the floor. Now noticing your lower back. And abdomen. Moving into your diaphragm and mid-back. All the way up into your chest and your shoulder blades. Maybe you're also noticing your breath again. of your skull, the base of your skull where it meets your spine, moving your attention through the top of your head. your face, your forehead, eyebrows, nose, cheeks,
your jaw. I skipped it. Go to your shoulders. Move down into your biceps and upper arms. forearms notice your wrists all the way out through the tips of your fingers. And we can end just by bringing our attention back to our breath once again. Maybe taking a couple deep breaths in and out. stay just where you are makes no difference to me thank you so much for tuning in to the show to the station I'm really really uh, excited for today's show I get to play a little more music than usual which is always fun because I love 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 music and sharing that music with you and then at 10 30 uh Dr. Christine Hutchison will join me from Seattle over the, uh, I guess, internet is how that works. Um, until then, let's listen to a little music. Got some other stuff to share with you in a bit. But um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a song from Madeline Kenny from her latest album from this last year. Uh, mostly just because I ran into her in Ikea yesterday and I well I didn't run into her it's not, I saw her and then I kind of freaked out a little bit anyway I love her she's great uh though it did make me wonder she's moved back to the Bay Area because she had moved away 
anyway, I'll, I'll stop with my really minor celebrity gossip. Uh, but here is Cut Me Off by Madeline Kenny from uh, Perfect Shapes, which is a really great album. You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. Keep listening.
BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever. You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> That's the show. Um, you just heard Inhale, Exhale by Anna Meredith. Brand new uh, single release. So I hope that means there's an album coming. Um, and before that was Cut Me Off by Madeline Kenny. So uh, as I said earlier, my guest today is my dear friend, past guest on the show, and a psychological colleague, Dr. Christine Hutchison, and she'll join me remotely in uh, very shortly, actually. Um, so I'm probably going to just play another song before that so we can, we can get ready. I, I guess before I do that, I will uh, address a listener question that is specifically for me. Um, somebody wrote, do you think my therapist gets jealous when I say, Lily Sloan said, um, maybe, maybe, maybe your therapist does. I, I don't know really for sure. I, I think for me, if, if somebody was coming in and kind of sharing with me that somebody else was having an impact on their life in a way that they felt was positive. Um, I would pretty much be happy for them. I think where it would be a little weird or uncomfortable is if it felt really contradictory to the things that we'd been working on together. Uh, if it felt like it was, and, and if it felt like uh, the person was, using it to kind of tell me I wasn't really helping them enough. You know, like, like if you're doing that, are you trying to communicate something to your therapist or are you just sharing something that you found helpful and interesting? Uh, it, and something that you could do is even ask your therapist, Hey, I, I sometimes bring up things I learned on this radio show. And I realized that I wondered if it, made you feel jealous and so you know it could just be an opportunity to to talk about that more explore more where that's coming from I I mean I think it's probably a perfectly fine innocent thing that you're just gathering information from different places and of course I'm I'm flattered and honored that <laughs> you would quote me to your therapist um but yeah, I mean, it, it ideally isn't a competition. It's like you're getting help in all kinds of places and there's different people that are going to impact you at different moments. But it is good to ask yourself why, why you're sharing that with your therapist and what is there any edge of... of um, is there anything like provocative behind you doing that? So... Thanks for that question. Um, like I said, I'm going to call in Christine Hutchison in just a moment. But first, let's listen to a song from Chelsea Wolfe. Very recent album. The song is The Mother Road. It is so beautiful. The 
to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. I'm your host, Lily Sloan. That was The Mother Road by Chelsea Wolfe from a recent album. So good. I recommend going and listening to all of it for, you know, all the big sweeping orchestral feelings. Um, I am going to call my guest now, Christine Hutchison. And... uh, I'm really excited to uh, to talk to her on the show again because it's been a while. So, just gonna figure out FaceTime live on the radio. All right, it's that calling noise. <gasps> oh, she's there! Hello. Hi. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you too. Okay, I have to turn off BFF.fm, right? Oh, or I else don't. You will get feedback. I mean, I guess so. I guess because well, you're wearing earbuds, so it's probably fine. But oh, who knows? I don't know. I remember that always being a thing with the radio. Like, if you called into a show to like right. try to win <laughs> win tickets to something, they were like, make sure your radio is off. I know. I think I just revealed my generational positioning. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Can I can I request a song for my boyfriend? <laughs> Shout out to all my girlfriends. Can, can you play End of the Road? <laughs> oh my. So Hello. so it's so great to have you back on the show. You were one of my very early guests. Like maybe in the first 5 or something. Oh wow. Okay, I remember it was a long time ago it was, it was yes I mean, but i couldn't was, remember how long ago it was probably about two years ago like yeah because you had your hundredth show a couple months ago yeah yeah so yeah yeah you were in the first like couple of months so yeah yeah but well i'm so thrilled to be back yeah me too i mean i wish i wish you were here in person though i I respect your right to have moved somewhere else. Well, thanks. I'm, I think we'll probably talk a little about all that. Yeah, we will. Um, but but first, yeah, I just, you know, when, when you were here last, you were um, in, in graduate school doing a PhD at the Wright Institute. Correct. Uh, and now you are a doctor. Yes. You are a doctor of psychology. Yes. And you now live in Seattle. Things have changed. Things have changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I just, true. I really like calling you Dr. Christine Hutchison. You know what that feels like? Do you remember like when you turned 10 and everybody asked you, how does it feel to be in the double digits? Oh, and you're like, yes. is it supposed to feel different? So I love <laughs> my friends have been like so lovely being like, oh my God, you're a doctor. And mm-hmm. my internal reaction is like, am I, is that am can I still be me? No. Like, has anything changed? No, you, you must suddenly be wearing, like, a white coat. Oh! And have a stethoscope around your neck. Oh! And be very uh, serious and formal about everything. It is Halloween. I think I could probably get one of those. I think you could. At my local party city or Especially whatever. if you show them your doctor license. That's <laughs> There you go. Let me just flash this. <laughs> but you are a doctor of psychology. You've now opened up a private practice, right? Yes, I've opened a practice in North Seattle. Um, yeah, so I think when I was on last, we talked a lot. I was halfway through writing my dissertation on PMS. 
Right, um, and right. Specifically how therapists like address PMS when people come into therapy and they're like, oh, you know, I was really upset last week, but then I started menstruating and it mm-hmm. was just PMS. And I was so curious, like, so what's going on in the mind of therapists when they hear that? Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I think when we last talked, I had like done the first part, which was researching what's been studied about PMS, but I had not yet done my actual study, which was interviewing um, a bunch of therapists. And so I did that, and that was really fun and interesting. Um, Yeah, and then I moved to Tacoma, Washington, which is a city about 45 miles south of Seattle. And I lived there for a year and worked at a college and finished my my degree. And then I just recently moved into Seattle, which is where I lived before I had lived in San Francisco. And I, yeah, I remember a lot of the time that you were here, you were kind of longing for Seattle again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was homesick for seven straight years. Oof. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And now I'm back <sighs> Yeah, and it feels like home, but the city has also changed a lot in the seven years since I left. So it's, right. it's very strange that I'll walk down a street and every 10 seconds I have a different experience of like, Oh, that store is still... Oh, I remember... What is that? Oh, my God. A condo building went up there? Like, where am I? Yeah. Oh, I'm in Seattle. (laughs) I think, you know, it's funny because when I first moved to San Francisco, that's what I heard, like, longtime San Francisco residents describe about the experience of being in San Francisco. Yeah. I feel that when I go to my hometown, Petaluma, because, I mean, I don't think there's been a lot since since this happened but like the whole downtown there's a lot of it that is familiar but then there's a whole chunk that's like Uh oh those um those like auto body shops were all like plowed down and now it's like a movie theater and like restaurants and but it it's all new in this way that makes it feel a little bit like empty like like kind of i don't know not special yeah well also it's not uh, yeah anyway it there, there's a bit of a like faux fancy about it so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. but it's yeah it's interesting it's like yeah but is that just because it's on like not what I grew up with you know right yeah well also my big uh my big uh kerfuffle with law enforcement was on that rubble when they plowed down those buildings and we're going to rebuild. So the rubble is now a fancy, empty, soulless movie theater. Yeah, but at least... When really it holds the formative experiences of your adolescence <laughs> yeah. underneath <laughs> underneath that pristine construction. <laughs> yeah, my almost mm-hmm. misdemeanor. Mm. Mm-hmm. I can um, see why you'd have some mixed feelings <laughs> driving through that. <laughs> oh, my. But um, so in your private practice, what... What are you do you do you feel like you have a specialty or certain areas of interest in the work you're doing now? Oh, I like the term areas of interest. Like I you know, I'm I decided I'm really committed to um well, I actually feel really ambivalent about it because I want to be a generalist. And oh, right. the the thing I've loved most about being a therapist is getting just to work with people, just a whole bunch of different kinds of people. And as soon as you're like, oh, my specialization is this, my fear is I, I won't have, I won't get to work with a lot of different types of, of people. Yeah. Um, but the reality is most of my work um, in the decade that I've been a therapist has been with 
adult women. I work from a pretty, um, you know, feminist social justice framework. So adult women experiencing anxiety, usually the roots of the anxiety are with um, some past trauma, some family of origin stuff. So that's... And the patriarchy. And the patriarchy and the relationships they have with men in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're... I trust 100% that you're really amazing working with that because as your friend, I've gotten so much out of our conversations mm-hmm. that have often revolved around that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I mean, obviously that's, that's work that I do with myself and it's work that I love it. And it's, it's one of those, you know, I do it because I need it. Right. So I offer it because we're all doing it together. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing I like, you know, about you and, in, in your style and, and it resonates for me too is this like we're all doing this like mm-hmm. this is impacting me too mm-hmm. and I feel I, you know while you might not be like hey look I have problems too to your <laughs> but it's, like, it's oh my god I, I totally don't know how to deal with that either yeah but there's a vibe of like just so much acceptance and uh, uh, being with and not not being top down about it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Do you remember when you were like a baby therapist? And of course, you and I met when we were baby therapists. Yeah. When we were, yeah. We interviewed together for a couple positions right after, out of grad school. Mm-hmm. And at least for me, like when somebody brought in something that I felt like was unresolved in my life, it it caused me to panic. I'm like, I can't. I need mm-hmm. to refer them. I'm not equipped for this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. We're all all human. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm definitely more comfortable now being like, like empathizing as they're sharing. And then, Mm -hmm. and then when they give me that look of like, so what do I do? Being like, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know the, I'm just like, yeah, that's hard. Like, I I literally don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I don't know if there is one. Yeah. One of my go-tos is, so as you've heard yourself talk about this, has anything stood out to you? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like, Have yeah. you solved your own problem yet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh it, it, it feels, it feels, and not from a place of I'm not good enough, though sometimes, right. sometimes it comes from there, but it just feels wrong to presume that I know something. Yes. You know, like there are things we know and there's things that I mean, obviously people are coming to us because we know something <laughs> and like we have certain expertise. And it, but our mm-hmm. knowing is more around like how to make space for that exploration. It's not about yes. knowing what to do or yes. how things are going to, you know, play out. Yeah, I think you and I have the same like philosophy that therapy is about um, expanding your ability to tolerate all that discomfort and ambiguity and paradoxes that life gives you know all of that yeah and so it would not really be therapy it's sometimes I think it's helpful if somebody just tells you I have needed that in my own therapy a number of times sure yeah yeah go home eat a good dinner go to bed at night you know right right yeah that's been helpful once in a while yeah totally I do that sometimes where I you know there, there yeah there's times where I'm just like I think it's really important that when you leave here, you go get some food. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, like I want you to mothering. Leave the house once every day. Yeah. For the next seven days until I see you again. Yeah. 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 Totally. And that's, that's not giving answers so much as like, 
all right, you're not, you're not in a place where you're able to recognize and meet your own needs right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to lovingly like give you some, some assistance there. Yes. So that's our expertise. (laughs) Like we know when to tell you what to do and we know when not to tell you what to do. And even that is like an ongoing question mark. Because totally. <laughs> I've totally. I've told people what to do at times where I'm like, oh, that was actually really uh-huh. unhelpful. Oh, that's because I was anxious in that moment. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just like re- real. realizing after a year of trying to give someone homework or tell them what to do that like that's not they're not doing it. So we need a different yep. approach. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, I think we should do a listener question and then I want to get back to talking about housing. Um, and Rad. gentrification and, and all of that that we had discussed so sounds super fun I found a question um, that is I don't know I just kind of thought it would be fun for us to talk about I think it, it, we may have missed the timing on it for the specific person mm-hmm. but hopefully, sorry yeah hopefully it's helpful um, but I think just because you and I have we met through job application like job interviewing process and we've continued to talk about that through our own you know trying to get various internships trying to get um figure out work and this whole thing so this person writes um i just applied for a job that i wasn't entirely well qualified for but i passed the initial reviews and met qualifications for it it's a stretch and i have an interview in two weeks i'm wondering if you have interview advice it seems like men get hired for things all the time they might not be totally qualified for. But as a woman, we take less risks. So I want I wanted to go, make a go for this one. But now I'm starting to want to backpedal and withdraw my app. It's a lot mm. of nerves and anxiety trying to stop me. So maybe I just need a pep talk from you and your guest. Oh, yeah. Oh, we might be too late. That makes uh, me so sad. I know. Well, though, I will say... Sometimes when I finally like figure out that I need to reach out, just the act of writing the thing to somebody. That's true. Like maybe she found her own answer in the process totally, of asking the question. Totally. <laughs> like there's times when I'm like, Ugh, I just need someone else to tell me to get up out of bed. And I'll like text someone that and then I'll immediately get out of bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. But I mean, it. yeah, she, she definitely brings up this whole thing of, you know, how how do we as women take you know that level level of like confidence that that men are more often instilled with to just go go for things and she just named it all in her letter right you know i know men apply for jobs that they're less than qualified for and i'm having a ton of anxiety having done it because she named herself as a woman right you know actually i think i think it's kind of a safe assumption because She's said the thing about men, but that's that's yeah. thinking in a binary. I think there way, was a, so. an as as women line in there. Um, Did I? Oh yeah 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 yeah. Okay. There was okay. Um, so she so um. I lost my train of thought. Okay, totally lost my train. Of well, thought. the anxiety. Oh yeah, she's yeah. been socialized to not, you know, all those messages of uh, don't stand out that much, don't brag about yourself, don't mm-hmm. yeah, don't humiliate yourself by failing in this way. Right. Who do you think you are? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is interesting because she said, I wasn't qualified, but I passed the initial review and met qualifications. Yeah. It's like, well, then maybe who's, you are qualified. Who's deciding? Yeah. Who's deciding <laughs> like, you're qualified? Right. Like, yeah. there's some level of being qualified there. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's funny how also we might make a lot of assumptions to try to avoid rejection. Uh-huh. Like, oh, okay. Like, I'm going to make assumptions about what's in this uh, job description or what the people who are looking are actually looking for or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what the differences are between me and my imagination about this other qualified Mm -hmm, person. mm -hmm. Right. Just to like protect ourselves from those risks. Yes, totally. Um, One of my experiences going through this doctor program was every year I had a different, I worked for a different agency and there was an interview process and then a matching process. Right. Um, And I learned early on that um, at least when people are hiring students, a lot of times people don't want competence because they want, they like the idea of being the ones who train and mold and shape you. So Mm -hmm. I made a mistake my first round doing this because I was like, oh, uh, you know, I had to actually come in with five years of being a therapist and that was a little bit unusual. And I presented that and I didn't get matched with any place I had applied to. Um, And I went to the department of my school. I'm like, I don't don't know what to do. And I got some like coaching around tone tone it down a little bit, which we can, right. We have all all sorts of feelings about this. Um, But the good part of this is I did come to understand more of when you apply even for jobs, like people... Some people just want you to be able to do the job and do it well, but I think there are organizations that they really pride themselves in career development and training and maybe even like evening the patriarchal playing field or the white supremacist playing field. So I don't know that it would be an entirely bad thing to go into an interview and say, I think one of the reasons I feel really committed to this job is the ways that I could grow here. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, right. And depending on who, you know, and... I don't know, like it's almost, you can read the age and the race and the gender of who's interviewing you and that mm-hmm, might give mm-hmm. some indicators of what, yeah, there's a whole mix of like yeah, well, and things it, going on here. It's so tricky because, yeah, we want to we wanna be ourselves because that's going to set us up to be in, in a better fit kind of situation. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. at the same time, well, we need jobs. And, right. Um, and also we, so we don't always have the luxury to be looking for like the dream job, you know, like, oh no, this is totally like the right culture fit for me and like a place Mm -hmm. where I'm really going to thrive. It's like, that's great. But a lot of people don't have that privilege Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. think about it that way. Right. Like I need a paycheck. Right. So I need to tell them what I think they want to hear. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is really tricky. I mean, I, I got rejected from a job a few months ago mm. and it was so upsetting. Like I asked for feedback and I got, I did get feedback and the feedback was like, yeah, no, it was you. Oh <laughs> like, no. I mean, it was said in a kinder way, but it was like, oh, that was, no. it was how I behaved in the interview. That was why they turned me down. And I was so mortified, so mortified and humiliated and like ashamed of myself. And it was around something that like has come up before in relationships. Mm. 
And so it was like, it was all kinds of, oh my God, God. that was a rough rough (laughs) couple of days. But it was really interesting to think about just with talking to a few friends about it. I've been self-employed for a very long time. I have not had a ton of experience interviewing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, at least not in a while, like Mm -hmm. not since, you know, my internships and all that. And I, I feel like there was, there's something I'm missing about talking in an interview in a way that's still me, but interview focused rather than just being like, yeah, but I'm good at talking to people. Uh huh. And uh like, like I didn't, I didn't quite tell them what they wanted to hear, you know, in a way that was useful. And I misinterpreted one of their question. And so my answer ended up, I think, coming off as kind of pompous to them Uh. when I think it was a miscommunication about what the question really was. Okay. But to, to hear that, you know, like it's, it's, it's hard to make that. I just think that distinction between what's an interview conversation and what's a conversation yeah. is, is tricky and it can bump up against a lot of my own feelings about authenticity and, you know, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and you'd rather, I mean, it sounds, cause as your friend, like I'm rushing to say all the things about, well, you know, they, you weren't the right match for them. You wouldn't have been happy there because mm-hmm. you would have had to like, you know, make yourself small, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it sounds like you actually just really wanted the job and wish you had answered the right way. Yeah. That one question. Yeah. I think now I feel like with the distance, I feel a little more of the other thing too. Okay. Like maybe there is some weird stuff there that I, that would have not been a good fit, especially in such a small tight, tight knit company. Yeah. But it, it, is definitely like also oh that that's feedback I can't completely write off mm-hmm. like a part of me wants to get defensive about it a part of me mm-hmm. wants to think I'm all bad you know yeah. those extremes but it's mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle there's some nuance there mm-hmm. <laughs> and I yeah and oh, I think hard. that question of do we scale back scale ourselves back or do we make ourselves puff ourselves up more mm-hmm. it's hard to know right and it's hard to know depending on the context yeah but you know in the more I think in like the therapy world and the job I applied for which was more touchy-feely and it was mm-hmm. all women like mm-hmm. there might be more of a desire like a desire for a humbleness from people mm-hmm. in a certain way, maybe even too much humbleness. Um, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in, in other sectors, there might be more of a like puff yourself up and like mm-hmm. be hundred percent confident. Like, Oh, I'd say my biggest flaw is that I have no flaws. <laughs> <laughs> I just arrive at work so early cause I'm so dedicated. Yeah. It's really a problem in my life, but <laughs> I can't help it. I just love yeah working <laughs> for free right <laughs> in my last um internship placement for my doctorate program I got to do be the person doing interviews with other staff members so I'm trying to think because that was my first experience on the other side oh, right yeah. of the interview table and I mean I think the fit like most people were perfectly good 
and that was hard for me to know that, and it, you know, this, the nature of this was we had three slots and 80 something applicants. So 70 something people were going to not get the offer. And they would interpret that in a variety of ways when the reality was they were good. They were fine. Right. And it's almost a little bit random. And then, of course, there was multiple people, you know, in the hiring committee. So there were the candidates that two people loved and one person, you know, didn't. And so right. it's just like the stories you tell yourself before or after the interviews probably are rarely aligned with what actually goes on. Totally. I mean, and that is why it is so... I'm really grateful that those people actually did take a second to give me some feedback, mm-hmm. even though there might have been more going on there, too, than just, I mean, who, who knows? But it's it's actually rare that we get that. So yes. often you just don't know. And if you're feeling down, it's easy for the inner critic to be like, let me make up some stories for you. Right. Let me. Although it does yeah. sound like your inner critic maybe couldn't have <laughs> done a, a better job than the actual no, feedback you that got. was like that's oh, part really? of what was so mortifying oh. about it was it was so much worse than I could have imagined oh shit. like I I have confidence issues but I thought it was fine oh <laughs> it's always worse when that's yeah so rough part of part of the function of the inner critic is actually to the whole thing of being harder on ourselves than anyone right, else Right, so you don't have be. to hear it from somebody else. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In this case, it was the opposite, yeah. But I know this person wanted a pep talk. I mean, now now based on this conversation, <laughs> I'm hoping that they already like did it and it was fine, you know, yeah. and whether or not they got the job. I hope that they feel good about going through the process. But, um, But, you know, from that pep talk perspective, I think there is an element of like, I mean, I guess if you're already getting interviews, mm-hmm. if you're being moved to another stage, you're great. You're qualified. They yeah. they see you as somebody who's qualified for what they're thinking the role is. Yes. And they are excited to keep talking to you. Yes. And that's something that like I know I have to remember when I go into these things is like not to go into this like terrified place of I don't know if I'm good enough but to be like well they want to talk to me so clearly I have something to offer right they've they've seen my resume they've seen my portfolio you know whatever it is it's like Mm -hmm. they clearly are like huh Mm -hmm. this is an interesting person to consider for this job yes Trust it. You can trust that. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a real bitch, though. It's so real. And I find it hard. I'm actually, right now, I, I'm looking for, like, part-time things, um, doing therapy with children, because that's oh. the one thing I've literally never done. Like, I've oh, worked with people 14 yeah. and up. And, like, I'm working really hard to say both things of, I have been a therapist for 10 years. I really have taken a lot of child development classes, and I've never done this. Yeah. Because I, I know, like, if I try to conceal one of those or overemphasize one of those, I'm not going to feel good about it. Yeah. Um, so it's just a real balance of, like, I I mean, at least my approach is, like, it's it's okay to have, to not be a totally perfect fit in every way for every position. Because if they have somebody that's a perfect fit, you're not going to get the job. And they're right. like, we don't. Right. So right. it's okay to be honest. But also, yeah. like, as women, it's so easy to... Um, upplay the uncertainty and downplay the competence right right yeah how do you balance it yeah and I think that's that's kind of what it comes down to right is like 
we don't want to be like oh i'm the i'm the best and mm-hmm. we don't and we don't want to be like i'm the worst <laughs> right right well yeah yeah you have some great things to offer and you have room to grow yes of every single person yes that's true <laughs> that's yeah. just the truth all the candidates yeah yeah hmm all right well, well good I, luck to this writer yeah let us know the next endeavors are how it went how it's going curious to hear again sorry i didn't get to address this as, as quickly as it seemed like you probably needed but i hope writing it was a little bit of an internal pep talk in a way there you go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah if people already want to interview you i don't withdraw an application unless you don't want to work there yes and even you know there's that thing even if you think you don't want to work there you might as well practice interviewing right right totally thing yeah yeah that's fair okay well i am gonna do something real quick for us because we are halfway through the show uh community radio for the san francisco music scene bff.fm best frequencies forever (laughs) did you hear that i heard it vaguely oh okay I, yeah, I don't know where you're ready because you're because you have it off. You have the show I do, off because and, I was afraid of yeah. feedback, which may not be a thing with the Internet. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I think it 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 might be. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, just a reminder, you're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. Best frequencies forever. Uh, I am here with my good friend, Dr. Christine Hutchison who is technically in Seattle at the moment, but she is here on my computer. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are getting something out of the show, if you get something out of listening to the station, please go to bff.fm slash donate and become a bestie. You can uh, donate $10 a month or more and be more of a part of this community and receive some good perks. Um, Get into our besties bash shows for free get a cool enamel pin, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this. And Christine, thanks for being here. My great pleasure. Thank you for having <laughs> me on twice. Oh, I am just thrilled. I, I mean, yeah, I wish I had gotten you on again before you left too. Though you were, you were busy. Well, I was a little busy. Yeah. You were a little busy. Yeah. Getting a PhD apparently takes some time, mm-hmm. some energy, mm-hmm. some focus. <laughs> yes, all those. <laughs> so, okay, so so shifting gears a little, we were we touched on briefly earlier the topic that we were going to talk more about today. Um, you you lived in San Francisco for seven mm-hmm. years, and then you went back to you were in Tacoma, but then now you're back in Seattle, a place you'd been wanting to get back to. Correct. And you're noticing the changes. Yeah. And so we were going to talk a little bit about like psychological impacts of gentrification because you've been very vocal about this. And I don't, yes. and that's not just about places changing. It's how is it changing and who's getting left out? Yes. And what is it? So, yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, when you posted on Facebook that we'll be talking about you know, and I know I proposed this topic. I kind of panicked because I'm like, oh, what do I know about this? But then... You have your experience. Yes. So and that's your thoughts what I know. about it. Yeah. 
And I was recalling, so I actually grew up in Portland, Oregon in the 80s and 90s. So like all the jokes about Portland being stuck in the 90s, that was just like my lived reality growing up. (laughs) Um, And I remember like in elementary school hearing people complain about the Californians moving to Portland buying up the houses and then complaining about the weather like this has been a narrative up here for a really long time um as long as i can remember for what so it's, it's worth, like i love that weather i know is it so did, think, did it end up raining up there um it you know there were a couple claps of thunder and then at least in my neighborhood no but oh. you know it's it's like dreary it's yeah it's that it's sounds cloudy, good that sounds lovely you gotta come visit lily i know I you would really like it i know and especially in october because that's when san francisco like gets hot which is it's wrong so wrong right now i'm like it's so really wrong. it started to feel like fall last week and then immediately <sighs> went back to like and that hap- that mm. happens every freaking year and i hated it i hate it so much anyway <laughs> god damn Boiling Ugh. hot San Francisco. Over San Francisco. All right. Um, and, that, and this was always the month in San Francisco that I felt like most angry and most homesick because <laughs> in my like internal clock, right, October, it gets cold and rainy. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I went to college in Seattle. I lived here for 10 years and then that's when I moved to San Francisco and I moved to San Francisco in 2011. So I kind of moved in and I was hearing all this talk about the city is changing, like the artists can't afford to live here anymore. Um, people are moving to Oakland, but then long-term Oakland residents are getting pushed out of Oakland. And just this, like that was my first real immersion in how how difficult and detrimental this process is for everybody at every point in the system. Because people who um, actually are quite wealthy, they they were moving out of their neighborhoods to, you know, and they felt homesick and they felt displaced and they, and it's really hard to take responsibility of the other part of that, of I'm displacing someone else. Um, and then when I, you know, found out I'd be moving back to, um, initially was Tacoma, which was always the city that Seattle kind of talked about as like, don't go there. It's, you know, it's like Seattle's Oakland in that kind of more white um idea of oh. what that city meant okay, so and then not all like this... the way i say don't go to walnut creek no like <laughs> okay. oh yeah that's dangerous but it was never defined what dangerous means and uh-huh. i think there was you know some gang stuff and crime and anyway so then i was moving to that city tacoma at the time where a lot of people were suddenly like oh my god let's let's go to tacoma it's beautiful you can still commute to seattle it's quiet that's cheaper um so so I felt really conflicted about, I desperately want a place like that, that feels like Seattle, that doesn't have so much going on where I can afford, um, but who who am I pushing out? Where What neighborhood do I move to? How do I make a thoughtful decision? Um, like, how do I pay an amount in rent that feels like a significant amount so I'm not getting a great deal and pushing out somebody who could actually afford like it just felt so complicated Mm -hmm, um and then I have moved to Seattle and I literally walk down the street and I hear people talking about oh my gosh isn't this so much better than San Francisco like I can get a one-bedroom apartment for 1750 you could never find that even in Oakland now and I feel angry about that also one bedroom apartment for 1750 is so expensive yes and it's so expensive exactly I mean yeah Seattle and Portland are not the cheap like havens anymore right no so it's like there's this you know population that's moving from san francisco because 
1750 for one bedroom is a great deal for them. Um, but those one bedrooms when I moved out in 2010 were $900. And so right, right, it's, yeah. so I feel like for myself, I've experienced the emotions of um, multiple different like parts of this gentrification system from the one with a lot of privilege to like, you know, I can move into a lot of neighborhoods. I have my choice um, and I don't really need to know how I'm impacting it to like the, oh, I can no longer afford to settle in my hometown because other people have moved in. Right, right. So I just think a lot about how, like, it brings up this um, part of me that I don't like where I I can get really victim-y and blame, like, the people above me when I know they're part of the same system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, me too. And it's, yeah, it's like, it's kind of weird because I think it's very rare that someone is going to like most people are just going to like get a place that they want that they can afford and not really Mm -hmm. think about like, but who might not be getting something because of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, and I, I wonder like what I think the thing from this conversation, like from the bigger conversation about gentrification that I really struggle with is there's a lot of, the problem is clear, but mm. there is no clear solution. Right. Like, yes, we all we all do have a right to like live somewhere mm-hmm. and like, you know, have nice things. And that, you know, I wish that nice things being in a neighborhood didn't mean that suddenly it's completely white. You right. know, like what is what does that look like? I, I don't I'm not in I think that like nimbyism is a real problem too of like mm-hmm. nothing, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to, I want to preserve my view right? in lieu or, you know, or like, or even just an attachment to things never changing. Yes. You know, even if it's not from right. a like, oh, my perfect view, but just from, you know, it's like, yeah, cities evolve, new buildings go up, populations mm-hmm. grow. All of that is true. Mm-hmm. So it becomes what is you know <laughs> how do you do that in a responsible way that is inclusive yeah and the, i i have also not found the answer to that i mean clearly clearly it hasn't been i'm sure i haven't read a ton about it so i'm sure that there are people proposing things and that there are mm-hmm. theories and that definitely like part of that you know is you know, new construction needing, you know, requiring a certain number of affordable housing units and Mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that. But it never feels like policy things never feels like enough. And like, I get that it's complicated because it's expensive for like, maybe then developers won't build if they Mm -hmm. if the requirements are so stringent, but and then that does impact the overall housing availability and cost Mm -hmm. if new buildings aren't going up. But Mm -hmm. it's like, why won't people just fucking do the right thing? <laughs> like, yes. What if, what, what if, what if, or maybe we just need more public housing where profits aren't, you know, as much of a concern. I, I don't know, but it's like, I think as, as a person with privilege now, I'm also, I'm, I'm extremely privileged in having some of the cheapest rent in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in the, on the whole of the west coast you know in a lot of ways like I, I don't know where I could go 
right. if I lost my rent control from, right. you know, 10 years ago, plus sharing a one bedroom with a roommate and not having right. a living room and all of that. But I, I do feel like, so there's, there's a lot of privilege in even getting that apartment and getting to retain that apartment. Um, but yeah, if I lost that, I, I couldn't stay either. And so I mm -hmm. think I do feel a, a vested interest personally mm -hmm. in, you know, in things being preserved for people who need it. Right. And I would say that I did that I have needed it. I think there are people yeah. who needed it even more. Yeah, and I think when we think about like the psychological impact, the question that comes for me is how to constantly hold both of those. Like, yeah. yeah, this is your home. This has been your home for a long time. There's literally only one place that you can make home in this city. And yeah. you deserve to have a home in the place that's your home. And, you know, yeah, you have all, all sorts of privileges that other people might not have that don't have access to a rent-controlled apartment, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And. I found that really difficult because I find that I want to be, it's what you were talking about before, in one camp or the other, either like, oh, no, like I'm one of those terrible people that's moving from California to Washington and I get all defensive. And I'm like, no, but I'm from here. Mm -hmm. um, or it's mm -hmm. how dare all these Bay Area people tromp into my home and take all the apartments and sit in my coffee shop and talk about tech. <laughs> 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 Which... <laughs> Right. That's the little conservative part of me that never wants anything to change. Well, I mean, and it's also, that's very human, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we want, we want the things that make us feel safe and comfortable around mm -hmm. us. And so it does take, I think it takes courage. Uh, and, and I see with like the Yimby crowd and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm using these terms. Some people might not know. I, I realize sometimes I just use them around friends who aren't on Twitter and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> who? <laughs> NIMBY is not in my backyard. And the Yimby movement was a response to a kind of like NIMBY is like kind of a slur in a way or an insult. Like those are, you know, the people are like, not in my backyard, not in my neighborhood. Um, Yimby is like a proud, like, Mm -hmm. Yimbies tend to wear that term proudly to be like, yes, in my backyard. Yeah. They're like pro, like build, build, build yeah. more and more Put housing. Put the navigation center next to me. And yeah. yeah all and, that. and there's, there's different camps too within these. And like, you never want to be called a NIMBY. You never, mm -hmm. just like, you don't want to be called a conservative uh -huh. <laughs> or something, you know, but like you, where the, you know, and within the Yimbies, I see like a wide range of what that looks like. I see people mm. who are, coming from a more inclusive um like let's make sure there's affordable housing kind of perspective and then i see people be a lot more like neoliberal about it like mm. no we just have to build housing no matter what we can it can all be luxury housing we'll let the markets work it out oh i see like you know yeah. just quantity of housing will save will solve the problem mm -hmm. but i think that rel that depends that's that's too i find neoliberalism to be much too optimistic about uh free market capitalism mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. like you know it's just a supply and demand problem i don't think it's just a mm -hmm, supply and demand mm -hmm. problem there's so many other racial and economic uh right is issues at play there yeah, yeah for sure yeah and protections i think need to be in place for people but 
yeah so anyway i i think that like on either side though you can go to these extremes that are both human in a way and like how do you help help both groups feel out the nuance more and find some real solutions right because everyone's just screaming at each other right now yes and i think well i i think there are people who on either side who are kind of um just like self uh really only care about their own self-preservation or whatever. I think that there are a lot of people who are screaming those labels at each other who are all concerned about the housing situation and how it's impacting mm-hmm. people outside of themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've had to kind of disengage from it on Twitter because it gets nasty. Mm-hmm. Housing Twitter is like... Real hellhole. I can imagine. And I, when I moved back up here, like it's still a thing, but I remember like not every party talk leads to talking about housing. Right. Which, here, like here it's, it yeah, it does. And it was exhaust. <laughs> like it's, it's a lot to, you know, encounter the reality of how difficult and problematic that is literally everywhere you go. Like yeah. it's what you chat to the grocery store right. people about. Right. When I imagine like housing insecurity, it's just, it's like a lot of things right now that feel extra tenuous and house, housing issue crisis is actually national. It mm-hmm, It is happening mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. It's actually happening internationally too. When I was in Berlin, um, when I, I met up for dinner with somebody who was like, we're having the same problems here. Wow. It's not on the scale that it isn't like yeah. San Francisco is like the hotbed of like the extremeness of it uh-huh but but it's happening everywhere it's happening everywhere i mean there's a lot of people <laughs> people mm-hmm. need housing mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. i'm sure a lot you know a lot of policy you know and maybe popular policies in, in capitalism that have like kind of backfired or i don't know mm-hmm. but it like it's a trend along with fascism being a trend and like mm-hmm. you know i don't know how these things connect but we're living in a very insecure time and space. Yeah, we sure are. And that's that's impacting us mm-hmm. all. Right, right. Yeah. I don't, hmm. I don't I don't I guess we're we're both doing the thing where we don't have the answers. We are doing that thing. <laughs> yes. What um let me think of what question I'm trying to ask. So, like, with your disengaging from this topic on Twitter a little bit, like, how how, how, and when do you engage with this issue? Housing and gentrification and... Um, I mean, in conversations with people, for sure. And then uh, it, during elections... You know, mm-hmm. like there's usually in San Francisco, there's usually housing measures on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually looking right now that the pissed off voter guide for our November 5th election is out. And I'm just I'm looking to see if there's any. Um, yeah. So there's uh, Prop A is an affordable housing bond, bond that they uh, that that they support. I tend to vote in line with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Prop E 
is affordable housing for educators and families. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's what oh, they wrote. Yes. Finally. <laughs> yes. So that's like an enthusiastic yes. Um, uh-huh. Actually, they're yes on all the props except for Prop C, which is basically a jewel wanting to have the power to like determine what our laws around vaping are oh oh (laughs) for the children Mm -hmm. i'm sure they made some real good commercials oh yeah so they're they're that is their only no and it's a hell fucking no (laughs) um but yeah this is a so, so the thing is is this is a smaller election like there's not a ton of stuff going on and it's just mm-hmm. like San Francisco stuff but real important things really important things and yeah. i think like the last few years it's been really important for me to be more in engaged to some degree with local politics to like mm-hmm. be somewhat aware of you know what what's behind the measures what you know who who the people are that i'm voting for not just the mayor but like smaller right seats um the da you know all those things and so i think that's a way to feel and again voting guides like the pissed off voter voter guide i love because our politics align so Mm -hmm. i know i know that and it's a place for me to kind of read about the props from the position of the politics that i am aligned Mm -hmm. with and and see what that perspective is there's nothing wrong with that you don't I I discovered in the last several years, like you don't have to read every side of everything. Like, yes, there are people who are researching it who you can yes. be like, I I trust them. Like, I yeah, you can I align also, with the values of this. Yeah, like you can pull from there's there's several voting guides out there, so you could mm-hmm. pull you could read a few of them, and it's still going to not take you nearly as long as trying to research all these things entirely on your own. Mm-hmm. But you can mm-hmm. be like, hmm. These two voter guides that I tend to feel pretty okay about are they are they aligned or is there one where they they veer and okay if they veer then I kind of have to do a little more to mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. Where, where I want to go with that but yeah I think I don't think it actually has to be that difficult yes to pay attention just a little and like figure out how to participate in these local elections. I I mean, I heard that an election like this one has extremely low turnout because Mm -hmm. it's small, because it's Mm -hmm. like people are more... not the big seats or the big names. Yeah, and people are more mm -hmm. focused on what's going on on a national scale. People are focused on this impeachment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) Who knows mm -hmm, where that's going to go. Right, but meanwhile, wherever that's going to go, you have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to create housing for public school teachers on November 5th. Imagine them being able to live in the city where they teach the children. (laughs) My goodness, yes. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like the housing stuff comes up with your clients? Ooh, in Seattle? I, I opened my practice so recently that it has yeah. not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Did it come up a lot in San Francisco? Yeah. You know what I used to joke about? So my first um, like internship as a therapist was in Seattle. And right. then I moved to California. And then my move down, I thought to myself, 
what on earth do people in California talk about in therapy if the weather is not cloudy for nine months of the year? Because that's the, <laughs> like that was, at least in 2010, the big topic from October to May of like my depression's getting really bad because I haven't seen the sun in six months. Uh, um, uh-huh. And we talk a lot about that. So then I moved to San Francisco and I discovered, of course, it's housing and it's yeah. the construction noise. Like that's uh, the, okay. just the daily background makes everything more stressful you think in people's we'd have lives. more housing based on the amount of construction noise. Right. And I remember freaking October is when just all the projects would be happening. So oh, you'd step yeah. out your door, it'd be 85 degrees uh-huh. and jackhammers everywhere. Oh, God. Bad combo. <laughs> Bad combo. I just, Anyways, ima- I just so. imagine you back in Seattle, though, being like, like, I don't know what to do with that when it's like, yeah, the weather's like, you can't, you can't like, so I, right. I would be like, well, Maybe we could like, you know, what would you say to the sun if you, if you, you know, (laughs) like, you know, maybe we can have the sun sit on that pillow across from you (laughs) and you can, you can really like tell it how you're feeling Mm -hmm. about its disappearance. Mm -hmm. Maybe the sun will have a chance to respond. (laughs) I'm really into your two chair technique with the sun. <laughs> the sun. I mean, I really I have, like this intervention. I have a few words for the fucking sun right now. <laughs> Go away. Go to Seattle. Mm. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, anyway. Yeah. No, it's hard because you talk about, you know, sun lamps and vitamin D. And can you take a weekend to drive over the mountains and go to the where it's cold and sunny? Uh-huh. Um, right. But otherwise, how are you going to make it till May 15th? Yeah. That's the conversation. Oh, my God. But climate change is changing that up here. We had a, a very sunny winter last year. So oh, weird. Okay. Which is another thing that's like, you know, I'm home, but home feels different. Right. So like, you're like your imagination about feels getting, different. getting that the climate back that your body is craving. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, you know, that's a whole other level of psychological impact. You know, yeah. there's Next like, time I'm on, yeah. that's what we can talk about. <laughs> Definitely. It's what it's, happens when your weather is not your weather. Right. This, anymore. What happened to my, we're, we- we're weather nimbyists. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want climate change here. <laughs> I guess weather yimbies would be like pro global warming. <laughs> That's that's weird. <laughs> oh, okay, that's not working. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I I just I guess kind of back to my question about what you know people talking about. I derailed it because I wanted to talk about two chairing it with the sun, um, <laughs> but people talking about uh, about housing and therapy and SF and like. Like, what did you notice the psychological impacts kind of being on people? Oh, gosh. Um, A lot of shame around, and this is, there's like the generational thing of this too, of why can I not, I'm not quote unquote an adult yet because I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. Do you hear this too? Yeah. Well, I mean, and I feel it. Yes. When my parents were my age, they had X, Y, and Z and 14 children. But I can barely pay my rent. Yeah. Like, I feel like I heard that a lot. I'm lucky because my parents actually are not typical boomers and that we didn't own a home and they were mm-hmm. paycheck to paycheck, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess lucky. Um, my expectations weren't the same, but it's still there still is like culturally that like it's still drilled in that adults have homes and right. like savings and retirement. Yes. And, yeah. 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 So either the shame or like just anxiety. Yeah. Obviously. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And also that conflict, you know, people who have lived there a long time, I feel like I heard a lot about, this is my home, but I can't feel at home here. Like, this is my home, but I never feel settled. I never feel not worried. Yeah. Right. God, and that, I mean, way before white people had to feel that here, people of color were probably Mm -hmm. dealing with it for you know, it's like same with climate change. It's like who who feels the impacts first? Who's first? Yeah, you know, absolutely. of like bad policy, right? It's the most vulnerable. It's the people who are the most unconsidered mm-hmm. in decisions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the least mm-hmm. consulted with, mm-hmm. who get, it, you know, and then when we're like, oh my god, this is a problem, they're like, yeah, it's a fucking problem. Yeah, I said that in nineteen eighty-seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine in finding solutions, whatever they are, like we have to talk to the people most impacted, the mo- mm-hmm. you know, get them. Yeah. Who would that be in San Francisco right now? Hmm. I mean, definitely economically, like people who make under a certain amount of money, yeah. um, people, definitely people of color you know like the dwindling number especially like the african-american community here Mm -hmm, is like mm -hmm. so dwindling like Mm -hmm. and pushed out to the edges Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. it's very segregated feeling city the hispanic population and the mission the what population of the mission the hispanic population Mm -hmm. of the mission Mm -hmm. yes um yeah and the unhoused like oh well right right well, and that's, that's like, you know, I, I know that there's a portion of the unhoused that is not just because there's not affordable housing. It's also because mm-hmm. they need a lot of services, but there mm-hmm. are, there are people who are unhoused because they lost affordable housing and they couldn't, they didn't have a safety net. Right. Right. And, and then, and then that spirals out into other issues. It's like mm-hmm. if you're economically, if you if you don't have a roof over your head, mm-hmm. the impact of that is so profound that why would you expect people to not do drugs or not right. lose their minds? Yes. Yeah, for real. Whew. Well, well, this has been scary. <laughs> I, I do want to trade weather with you. No, I just want to come up and be with you there because I don't want to inflict this upon you. Do that. Okay. Come up and hang out for a week. Look for some cheap flights. There you go. Speaking of change. Mm-hmm. Just, just hop on a just, little... Just hop on a jet plane. Yeah, jet plane. At least it's just to Seattle. I hope that doesn't... Anyway. I've, I never got to take the train, but it's... I hear it's nice. I'm sure it's nice. I think I'd need like a two week vacation yeah. to do that. Yeah, it does take. <laughs> I think it's a like thirty hour ride. It's pretty slow. Yeah, yeah. But. We're not good at trains in this country. No. Uh, <sighs> another thing. Another thing. Another thing. Anyway, I am so uh, grateful that you were able to join me. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you. And you know, your internet connection's great. This has actually oh, worked good. very well. Awesome. Yeah. Yay. A whole hour of FaceTime without like anybody getting no dropped. Glitches. Yeah. That is, yeah. you know what? There's some blessings to 2019. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to today, if anything? Ooh, it, I, it's a very practical day. Like after this, I'm 
going to an exercise class and going to the cat food store and the hardware store. But I am looking forward to, not to rub it in, but it's like perfectly cloudy and blustery and I'm going to get a cup of tea on my way to my new therapy office. Oh so that's, my God. that will be my joy for the day. Oh, I'm very happy for you. Thanks. And jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Yours, it comes. I remember yeah. by Halloween, it's always cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, it's coming. We'll get there. We'll get there. Well, enjoy, all right, enjoy all of that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right. That was awesome. So, so glad to get to have Christine on the show again. Let's listen to a little more music. Uh, speaking of rain, I'm going to do a throwback to um, to a old Tom Yorkie from uh, The Eraser. And it rained all night. You're listening to Radical Advice. BFF.FM frequencies forever.
You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. I'm your host, Lily Sloan. We were just listening to Be Released by Virginia Wing from her album Ecstatic Arrow. God, I love that song. It's so good. Um, And before that was And It Rained All Night from Tom York from his uh, debut uh, solo album from, I don't know when that was, 2006, something like that, uh, The Eraser. Still such a good album. Um, And I got to see Tom York at the Greek Theater on October 18th, and I'm so excited to be around a bunch of other depressed people. So... um, Again, it was really a pleasure to have my friend Christine Hutchison on the show to talk about uh, about her new life and work in Seattle and a bit about gentrification and housing and to answer a question about job interviewing. Uh, now, as we're getting a little closer to the end of the show, I wanted to share something with you that... Uh, somebody gave to me and I'm sharing it with anonymously for reasons, but, um, but they really were excited for me to share this on the show anyway. Um, so, you know, basically I notice myself feeling really torn right now about how I want to react to all that's going on politically with impeachment. Um, on the other hand, I don't really want to miss any of the funny memes or, you know, outrageous moments. And I'm also anxious about what's going on. So a part of me really wants to know it all. And, and yet I've also noticed an inclination to disengage a little more from the play by play, just to like slow down the onslaught of information and op-eds and like just just like let things breathe a little bit more because stuff is constantly flying at us and it's it's more than we can really process so this you know this whole thing this impeachment it's gonna it's gonna take a bit it's gonna be messy and maybe nothing's even going to come of it. I don't know. I really hope it does. But who knows with the way things have been going. And that, I mean, that really is the past three years in a nutshell. This messiness, this, uh, these processes just taking forever and yet everything moving so fast. So in light of that, uh, you know, my feeling, my own level of emotional burnout, um, I wanted to share the contents of a zine that somebody made about their own emotional burnout and all of this and how they're trying to cope. So this is uh, their recipe for keeping it together as you. And on the first page, there's all these checkboxes. Uh, dismantle white, white supremacy, reclaim democracy, protect the earth, put people over profits, uproot patriarchy. And there's also a little note on there that says uh, there's no opting out of at least one of those things. Okay, so the steps for keeping it together are one, meet your body's most basic needs as best as you can. So sleep, eat fruits, veggies, proteins, fat. It doesn't say this on the page, but I'm adding carbs. Breathe. You got to breathe in and out. 
The second step for keeping it together is move your feet or other parts of your body if that isn't possible. Basically, get out, go for a walk, see some trees. Three, fill your eyes with beauty or your ears and hands. So it could be natural beauty or human-made or both. Four, make things. So use your hands, get dirty, try, fail. This could mean trying to make bread, doing a jigsaw puzzle, watercolors, building a bookshelf, writing good or bad poetry, whatever. And five, love your peeps and let them love you back. Okay, but there's a caveat. She says, the dystopian future is here. Catastrophic climate change is already happening. Democracy is in decline almost everywhere, and fascism is on the rise. Public policy in many places treats women as incubators. People of color are dehumanized and their lives treated as expendable. Poor people bear the brunt of all of these things. So, while you must keep it together and cultivate your well-being and the well-being of those around you, you must also dismantle white supremacy, reclaim democracy, protect the earth, put people over profits, and uproot patriarchy. So, so that's it. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> While you're fighting against this stuff in whatever ways you do, it's really important to meet your body's basic needs, move your feet or something else, fill your eyes or your ears or your hands with beauty, make things and love and be loved. We can't do it. We can't do it without... <laughs> without taking care of ourselves. So, and there's, there is space for, you know, in the seriousness, in the weight of all of it, it's okay to also laugh and experience joy. It's not only okay, it's necessary. Um, and we have to acknowledge our feelings and where we're at. So, speaking of feeling joy, Let's listen to another song. Here's First Gen Pisces from local band Bells Atlas. This is BFF.FM.
We tore one down and erected another there The match of the century absence versus thin air I'm rolling on with a god don't know My brain's loading burger and my heart's the cold on bff.fm I am Lily Sloan the host of this whole strange endeavor uh, that was uh, that was Modest Mouse with a whatchamacallit you know that song uh, that was Modest Mouse with a Heart Cook's Brain from the Lonesome Crowded West, which is still my favorite Modest Mouse album. I don't know if it's just because it's the first one I listened to, but I love it. And even though I hadn't heard it in a while, a lot of the words still come back to me. But I was inspired to play it today because uh, Sean Real, who has played uh, our Besties Bash before, um, both solo kind of recently and then before that with uh, their band uh, Little Teeth is going to be playing our next Besties Bash on October 19th here at the Secret Alley um, as Modest Blouse and I believe I don't know I saw some little videos I believe it's all Modest Mouse covers <laughs> and they they're really good. They're from the videos I saw. They're so good. And it was just really fun <clears throat> to have that, that revived for me, especially by, by a friend who I really admire musically. And, um, it's just an overall amazing person. So you should definitely try to come to that. Come see Modest Blouse. <laughs> um, 
And before that was First Gen Pisces uh, from Bell's Atlas. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Radical Advice today. Uh, you should tune in next week. You should keep listening to BFF. There's so much good music going on here. You can follow the show on Twitter at Radical underscore advice to stay tuned as well as on Facebook. Um, and please send your life questions to radicaladviceshow.com. There's a, a, there's a submit button on the main page. You can do so anonymously and go to bff.fm slash donate to support all the amazing work we're doing here. I'm going to end with a song I've never heard before, but I'm just going to trust. This is called Applaud uh, by Ives Tumor, Hirakish, and Napoleon, and Anthem. This is quite a uh, compilation of artists here. Enjoy your Tuesday. Just to rock.